0: Office. Well, let's open our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 10. 2 Kings chapter 10, and we start reading with verse 1. And the title of the message this morning is Family Ties. And family ties are very important in the sight of God. And here we have, and we'll see that very much right here. 2 Kings chapter 10 and verse 1. And Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria, and Jehu wrote letters and sent to Samaria unto the elders of Jezreel, to the elders, and to them that brought up Ahab's children, saying, Now as soon as this letter cometh to you, seeing your master's sons are with you, and there are with you chariots and horses, a fenced city also, and armor Look even out the best and meetest of your master's sons and set him on, your father, on his father's throne and fight for your master's house. But they were exceeding afraid and said, Behold, two kings stood not before him. How then shall we stand? You remember the last time I spoke, which was two months ago here, because I didn't speak last month because of Paul Durand being here. But anyway, uh, we looked at that where Jehu was called by the Lord to set things straight there in Israel to execute God's judgment. And he killed the two uh, descendants of Ahab there, the two kings of Israel and also of Judah. And that's what they're referring to here. And then verse 5, And he that was over the house, and he that was over the city, the elders also, and the bringers up of the children, said to Jehu, Jehu, saying, We are thy servants, and will do all that thou shalt bid us. We will not make any king, do thou that which is good in thine eyes. Then he wrote a letter to the second time to them, saying, If ye be mine, and if ye will hearken unto my voice, take ye the heads of the men your master's sons, and come to me to Jezreel by tomorrow about this time. Now the king's sons, being seventy persons, were with the great men of the city which brought them up. And it came to pass when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons and slew seventy persons and put their heads in baskets, and sent him them to Jezreel. And there came a messenger and told him, saying, "They have brought the heads of the king's sons, and he said, "Lay ye them in two heaps." at the entering in of the gate until the morning. And it came to pass in the morning that he went out and stood and said to all the people, Ye be righteous, behold, I conspired against my master and slew him. But who slew all these? Know now that there shall fall unto the Lord nothing, unto the earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spake concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord hath done that which he spake by his servant Elijah. So Jehu slew all that remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel, and all his great ones, and his kinfolk, and his priests, and he left him none remaining. Well, there's a pretty bloody story there, a pretty gruesome story. And it's a true story, a true happening, and this is God's judgment. God's judgment upon Ahab. And, you know, Jehu was ordained of the Lord to carry out that judgment. And Jehu, we actually have a historical record of Jehu. There was a uh, pillar uh, carving that was uh, discovered that has a picture of Jehu giving a tribute offering to the Assyrian king in Assyria. And he's identified. And so Jehu was a real figure. He really did these things, and God really did execute his judgment against Ahab. Well, Ahab was a very wicked king. Remember, his wife was Jezebel. And remember, Elijah prophesied that God would judge him and judge his descendants. And here that is happening. And so he had 70 sons. You know, that was fairly common for a king with all of his wives to have many sons and he had 70 of them and they were being brought up and some of them were grown up or whatever and they were all killed all of them had their heads chopped off and put in baskets and piled at the entry of the city now what did these sons of Ahab do wrong In their life, why were they killed? Why did God have them killed? Weren't they innocent, basically? Well, they weren't innocent, they're born in sin for one reason. But the thing is, you see, here the family ties are very strong before the Lord and very important. And these sons had a tie to their father, Ahab. And Ahab was their father, and therefore they were being judged for the sins of their father. And we have that in the Bible. We have that various places. We're going to look, look at that in a little bit more. But anyway, we had these strong ties, and that's why they were killed. And it was also a literal fulfillment of prophecy. Elijah prophesied that God would judge Ahab and his house, and he did exactly that. Till he had none left remaining. And then you go on here, verse 12. And he arose and departed and came to Samaria. And as he was at the shearing house in the way, Jehu met with the uh, brethren of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and said, Who are ye? And they answered, We are the brethren of Ahaziah. And we go down to salute the children of the king and the children of the queen. Well, they had not heard anything about these things that had happened. And these people, these children of Ahaziah, the king of Judah, they were also descendants of Ahab. Because Ahab's daughter, Athaliah, was the the queen there in Judah. And these people were descended there from Jezebel and from Ahab. And then verse... Fourteen, and he said, "Take them alive." And they took them alive and slew them at the pit of the shearing house, even two and forty men. Neither left he any of them. And when he was departed thence, he lighted on Jehanodab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. Rechab coming to meet him, and he saluted him and said to him, "Is thine heart right as my heart is with thy heart?" And Jehonadab answered, It is, If it be, give me thine hand. And he gave him his hand, and he took him up into his chariot. And he said, Come with me, and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he slew all that remained unto Ahab in Samaria, till he had destroyed him according to the saying of the Lord, which he spake to Elijah. And so God executes judgment here in this passage. And as my dad used to say, God doesn't play softball. God plays hardball. And God uh, does judge sin. And you know, homosexuality and other things like that are not alternate lifestyles. They aren't alternate ways They're things that are going to be judged by God. That sin is going to be judged. And, you know, uh, false religions are not just alternate religions all going to the same place. No. God's going to judge those false religions. It's interesting, as we were coming to church this morning, going out the front door of our house, our people with their metaphysical store across the street from us, With their worship of the earth, they were setting up some sort of thing on the sidewalk there that they were going to have while we were out today at church. Well, they're promoting false religion today, and God will judge that. They're promoting the fact that you can have peace by being one with the earth. That's a false religion. We only have peace if we have oneness with God up in heaven and give our life to him. So anyway, here we have uh, the descendants of Ahab are all slain here. And you know, Jehu, he was not a very godly guy, as we're going to see later on and through this. But God chose him to execute judgment. And Jehu was all too happy to execute judgment because it coincided with his ends. It coincided with the fact that he wanted to be the ruler, undisputed ruler with no opposition. And so he destroyed all the opposition, the family of Ahab. Well, you know, family ties, they're very important. You know, we're born into a family. And you know, we're born into a family and we come with baggage when we're born. We come with our traits that are given to us. You know, there's always that saying that the apple does or the fruit doesn't fall very far from the tree, talking about children and parents. And, you know, we're born into a family. We have those traits that we get from our family, from our parents. We have medical problems that we get from our parents. You know, some people are prone to cancer because of their family who they were born with, and the family they were born into. Some people are prone to heart problems. And when I go to the doctor there in Delaware, he asks me about the family history. And he's very interested in the fact that my mother died of a heart attack, that my sister just had a heart attack a couple years ago. And so he concentrates on that because it's in your family. That's what you're born into. And, of course, we're born into a family, and we get the upbringing in the family. And our parents train us, and hopefully they train us well. But anyway, we get our environment that we're born in and raised in. We can rise above that environment uh, many times, but that's still a great influence upon us. I remember a movie I watched a while back, and the guy said in the movie, family is all that counts. Everybody else are passers-by. And there's a lot of truth to that, really, is that the family is the one that you stay with and should stay with to the end of your days, the end of my days. And friends come and go. And, uh, you know, we might have friends for many years, we might not. You know, I was thinking, you know, everybody that I grew up with, everybody that I was in the Air Force with, I have no contact with any of them anymore. And I do have contact going back to my college days just because they're still in the Bible Presbyterian Church uh, with me. But you know, the family is what we're stuck with our whole life. We're stuck with our family And we need to try to get along with our family. We need to try to work with our family. And we can never come to the place in our life where we say, I'm done with them. I'm done with my brother. I'm done with my father. You can't come to that place. Now, the thing is, is the Bible does tell us that Christ said that I have come to set a man against the dumb of his household And he's told us that he's come to set the father against the son and all those things. But we are supposed to try to get along with our family and try to uh, be with them and influence them and uh, recognize those family ties that we have. And of course, we might have fights with our family. They might not approve of what we do. But we always have to keep looking for opportunities to get back with them in the future. And we can't say, I'm done with them. Well, you know, family is very passe today. People like to forget about family. You know, the kids grow up, they move away. They don't have any contact with their parents anymore. And it's, that's not how God has ordained the family. And that's not what we have in the Bible. And you know, to begin with, the Bible has the command that was given to Adam and Eve. You remember? What was the command given to them? To be fruitful and multiply. That's the beginning thing with the family. And you know, we, need, we have that command still today. And people have talked down through the years about the overpopulation of the earth. The earth is not overpopulated. If you travel around, I've traveled around the U.S., I've traveled around in Africa, I've traveled around in different places, Brazil. There is so much empty space that could, arable land that could be farmed. There's plenty of room. And it's not overpopulated. And you know, the funny thing is today, even the people that aren't Christians are recognizing that the world isn't overpopulated, many of them. And they're recogni- recognizing that we need to have more children. And just this week, I copied a little bit from an article that was on the internet. The title of it, Elite Couples Are Breeding to Save Mankind. And they've decided that we need to have more children. And it talks about here, the new focus of this person's career is a philosophy known as pronatalism literally meaning pro-birth. Its core tenet is deceptively simple. Our future depends on having enough children. And yet life in developed countries has become hostile to this basic biological imperative and bolstered by declining birth rates, it has been gaining currency in Silicon Valley and the wider tech industry, especially its more conservative corners. And of all people, we have Elon Musk. And Elon Musk, they call in this article, he says, they say he's the galaxy's richest human being. Well, of course, that depends on how his stock is going up and down, but anyway, that's what they say. But anyway, he has had 10 children with three different women, and he has said, "If people don't have more children, civilization is going to crumble." Mark my words, he said, and he described uh, that there's a population collapse as the biggest danger to humanity, even exceeding climate change. Of course, I don't believe that's a threat anyway, but and warned that Japan, for instance, which has one of the lowest birth rates in the world will eventually cease to exist. And I saw another article on the internet this week about how many abandoned houses there are in Japan. They're They're like, like everywhere, millions of them. Because they have less and less people because people aren't having children. But anyway, family ties are important. First of all, we need to have children. And then we need to uh, strengthen those ties with our families. And then let's go on in this passage. We'll get back to that a little bit later. We read in the responsive reading about this massacre of the Baal worshipers. And once again, God is very jealous. And God does not look kindly upon false religion. And even though he lets false religion go on for centuries and for a long time, that false religion will be judged. Well, here, Baal worship had gone on for a long time, but finally, it was going to be judged right here with Jehu. And God judged it greatly, Jehu. He gathered all the worshipers of Baal together, and then he slaughtered them through the army there. Does God accept false religion? No, he doesn't. Does God accept homosexuality? No. No. And so often you hear today, oh, well, you need to accept them as they are. Well, no, we don't accept it. We expose it. Now, we're not out to kill them today, and, and they can have freedom, with uh, freedom of religion, but, and we can love them in certain ways, as we love our enemies, and we love everybody in the world, but we have to expose the sin, and we don't accept the sin. We fight against it. Then we go on down in this passage, down to verse 29. How be it from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from from after them. To wit, the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. That was always a sin that was recounted about Israel, the two golden calves, a false religion. Even though it had gone on for centuries, God did not. Accept it. And then verse 30. And the Lord said unto Jehu, Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, thy children, once again the children, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. And that exactly came to pass. If you go through, we're going to go through that as we go through 2 Kings. And up to the fourth generation, Jehu's descendants were on the throne, but then they were overthrown. But verse 21, But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin, In those days, the Lord began to cut Israel short and Hazael smote them in all the coasts of Israel. Hazael the king of Syria. Well, Jehu, he executed God's judgment upon the house of Ahab, upon Ahab and his descendants. But you know what? Jehu didn't care about God. He didn't care about the things of the Lord. It says he took no heed To walk in the law of the Lord. You know that's the big problem in the world today. That's the big problem in the church today. The big problem is that people just don't care. I don't care about that. I just don't care about the abortion going on. I just don't care about the homosexuals. I don't care about those things they teach in the church. I don't care. And that's what Jehu, Jehu took no heed. To serve the Lord with all of his heart. And you know, what that's what a revival is when you get right down to it. What's a revival? A revival is all of a sudden, people care about the things of God. All of a sudden, those things make some difference to them. And that's what we need to have is serving the Lord with all of our heart and with all of our soul. Care about the things of the Lord. Not like Jehu here. Well, going back to the family ties, let's go back to Exodus chapter 20 for a second. Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. And just look at that for a second. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4. This is in the middle of the Ten Commandments. We have the Ten Commandments right here hanging up behind us here. But anyway, going here with the Ten Commandments, verse 4, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. God is jealous when we worship other things and other beings. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Notice that right here, right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Sometimes we might forget that. It talks about here that God visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. You know, it makes a lot of difference what we do as fathers for the future of our children. And it made difference what our fathers did in our life after them. And it makes a difference. And our family is important. God has set up the family. You know, today they talk about the nuclear family is gone. And they talk about, well, you know, we don't no longer have the husband going out earning the living and the wife staying at home and all those things. You know, that's passé, that's gone. But you know, that's how God set up the family, that nuclear traditional family. That's how he set it up. That's what we have in the Bible. And you know, the problem is, If there's nobody in the home taking care of the home, what happens? The home goes to pot. That's it. And God is concerned about the home. He's concerned about the family. He's concerned about those things. And then looking there in Exodus chapter 20, just one more little thing, verse 12. It says, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Honor your father and your mother. Not just obey them, but honor them, we're supposed to do. And then it says, a promise with that, that we will have a long life. And it has something to do with our life, our relationship with our father, with our mother, with our family. And it's not just fathers, but mothers as well, that are talked about and included. And then do you remember... uh, The last two verses of the Old Testament, the last two verses of Malachi, we looked at that uh, in the past, I think. But anyway, the last two verses of the Old Testament talks about God would send the prophet Elijah before that great coming of the day of the Lord. And what would that prophet do? He would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers lest he come and smite the earth with a curse. The last verses of the Old Testament turn in the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. That's important. It's important what we do in the family. Do you ever hear the saying, charity begins at home? Our love and our Christian life begins at home. It all begins at home, and that's important. And you see that illustrated so powerfully here with this life of Ahab, and the judgment upon him. But you know, the problem is, it's inconvenient to take care of our family. It's inconvenient, it gets in the way of our lifestyle, and we don't want to be bothered with our family. And of course, today, we have, as I've said before, and I'll say again, you know, you have the the fathers sending the children to the institution, and you have the children sending the fathers to the institutions today. Sending them to the daycare, and the daycare raises the children. Sending them to the nursing home, and the nursing home takes care of the, the parents or the, the family. And you know, for 90% of the people, that should take place at home. And... You know, it's good uh, when they get good care in the nursing home. That's good. But, you know, they really should be at home. But today, that's passé, passé, to be with your family. And it's inconvenient. And then finally, let's look uh, back at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You know, we're Presbyterians. And, you know, Presbyterians take seriously those family ties. And, you know, the Baptists, they'll fault us on that. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 14. It says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Well, it's an interesting passage here. It's talking about marriage here by Paul, here in 1 Corinthians 7. And it's talking about here in the context, it's talking about if a wife has an unbelieving husband, should she leave him? No, she should try to win him to the Lord, and vice versa. And it says the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, set apart by the wife. The unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. But then it refers to the children here, is if there's not a believer in the family, a believing parent, then the children, says here, are unclean. But if there's one believing parent, they are holy, set apart to the Lord. And you know, we Presbyterians, we believe in that family tie. And, you know, we believe in infant baptism. And, you know, the Baptists will fold us and they'll say, Oh, hey, don't you know that, that only believers should be baptized? And it talks about repenting and being baptized. And don't you know that that baby doesn't have any faith to be Baptized? Well, you know, we're looking, we we as Presbyterians, we're looking at the family ties. And the baby is being baptized not for the baby's faith. The baby is being baptized for the faith of the parents, of the father, or the mother, or both. And then, therefore, our children are holy if they have believing parents. And so as they are baptized in the church, they are recognized, those babies are recognized as part of the visible church, belonging to that family that is a part of the visible church. And it's often been said, well, I've heard it said anyway, that, you know, uh, it ought to be said to the Baptists, and I think I said this with our Revelation study, you know, they all, most of them believe in the rapture, that we're going to be raptured to heaven. You know, uh before the tribulation starts, and I believe that too. But what about their babies at that time? Wouldn't they want their babies to be raptured too? Yes, they would, and they want them to be considered as Christians too. And we consider them as Christians, as the Presbyterians, not as Christians completely, but we're considering those babies, as part of the family, we're considering the faith of the parents, and we're considering that the f- faith of the parents is going to help to bring up those children and nurture and admonition of the Lord, that they will come unto the Lord uh, later on and with their whole, whole hearts. But anyway, family ties are very, very important. And we had our, our call to worship this morning. The call to worship talks about if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That tie with our family, providing for our family, that's important. And you know, we're supposed to provide important things for our family. What's important for our family? Well, you know, a roof over the head is important, the food is important, the air conditioning might be important, Uh, medical care might be important. But what's the most important thing that we should uh, provide for our family? Love. Love for our family and bringing them up and influencing them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the problem is, you know, when you put your children in an institution, put your parents in an institution, they're not having that love provided for. And the institution might try to provide some of that love, but they really can't substitute for the family. And so often you go to these nursing homes and the uh, the children don't ever visit the parents. And why don't they ever visit them? Well, I've heard him say, I don't want to visit them because I don't want to see them like that. Well, that's a pretty poor excuse. Very poor excuse. And you know, the thing is, we're supposed to provide love for our family. And we're supposed to pay attention to our family. We have those ties with our family. What did Jesus say? By all things, by, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Let's bow in prayer. Oh Lord, we pray that thou bless these thoughts to our hearts, and O Lord, we thank Thee for the lessons that we can see from Ahab, from Jehu, from the history of Israel, showing us how important those family ties are. And O Lord, we pray that we might see that in our own lives and care about it in Jesus name. Amen.